Good morning, good afternoon, good evening. I'm Bob Mendelson, and this is the Bob's Your Uncle podcast. Welcome to Season 4, Episode 3 of the podcast. Today, featuring Pam Crabtree, a university professor, a lecturer, an archaeologist. This is a, a great visit with a great woman. Stay tuned. You can now find us and comment to us wherever you get your podcasts. Tell us what matters to you, what triggers your joy, what bothers you in the world. Let us know. We'll see where the spirit leads us. Wherever you are just now, whether you're out for your evening constitutional, or you're here in Australia, or back in the United States with friends, or all by yourself with your headset on, hey, wherever you are, thanks for joining us these 18 minutes. Of note, the opinions are strictly my own and those of my guests. On this date in history, 3rd of October in 1935, Italian forces led by Emilio de Bono under orders from Benito Mussolini invaded Abyssinia in hopes of building a new Roman Empire. Six years later, the Maltese Falcon, the adaptation of Dashiell Hammett's famed 1930 novel, had its world premiere. In 1995, one of the most sensational trials in U.S. history ended as a jury found O.J. Simpson not guilty of murdering his ex-wife. Finally, in 1990, Germany was reunified after four decades of Cold War division. Germany was reunited this day in 1990, and that's the historical marker of the week. Welcome to the show, Dr. Pam Crabtree, professor of zoo archaeology, medieval archaeology, later prehistoric Europe, Near Eastern archaeology and prehistory. Wow, that's a mouthful. And I imagine it was a life full of action and study and mental determination. Thanks for joining me today. Oh, I'm just delighted to be here. We met, and in, what? Air, we met in an airport in August this year. From where are you talking with me today? Today I am sitting in my computer room in my house in uh, central New Jersey. Um, I uh, live in one of the suburbs of New York City where I teach. So Beautiful. When we met, you and Douglas were on your way to Turkey. How long did you stay on that trip and what was your work about then? 
we were there for about a week and a half. Um, and our work was really about looking at the animal bones from the early Turkish Neolithic sites about 6800 BC. And what we were interested in is what kinds of animals were these early farmers keeping? And also to what extent were they hunting wild animals, things like bears and deer and so on. And it is a site is called Tepecek and sometimes known as Chiftik, Chiftlik Tepecek because it's in the small town of Chiftlik. The um, excavator is Erhan Bakuchla, who is a professor at the University of Istanbul. And this was a study season. So we were really working on this early Neolithic material, and we were working with one of the Turkish students who wants to do a PhD in zooarchaeology. So we were show showing her how we worked, what we were identifying, and it was just an absolutely fabulous trip. What, what is it about history that is looking backwards that helps you and is the cause of all your research and personal investment all these years? Can can history really teach us anything? I think so. I mean, one of the things we look at today is how do we um, maintain agriculture, animal husbandry in a sustainable way? And I think to think about that, we really need to think about how did this begin? And so for me, working with this Turkish material, we begin to understand how people first kept goats, sheep, and cattle um, you know, about 6800 BCE in the beginnings of the Neolithic. So for me, that's important. And the other thing I've worked on particularly early in my career was the early medieval period. Um, when I first went to excavate um, in Britain, when I was a 19 year old undergraduate, I worked at the Winchester site and we were digging through 9th and 10th century early medieval houses where people were basically shopkeepers. They had a house in the front and they were doing tanning and leatherworking in the back. And underneath of that, we were coming down on the Roman material. And we actually came down on a Roman road with little tiny low value coins, boot nails, things like that. And so one of my questions was what happened between the end of the Roman period and the early medieval period? You know, what do we understand about the decline of the Roman Empire and how towns and cities rebuilt in the ninth and the 10th century and particularly in Winchester? So I think there are a lot of lessons here um, that are absolutely valuable for what we do today. You talk about that excitement you found as a 19 year old. You're a little older than that today. And the new school year is upon you there in New York. How do you maintain your energy, your enthusiasm for teaching students? Well, I'm not actually teaching this year because I have a sabbatical in the spring and I got a fellowship to NYU's Institute for the Study of the Ancient World this fall. So I'm actually being a little bit of a student because I'm sitting in on one of my colleagues' uh, graduate seminars. But to me, it's just, it's always been really exciting and fun. And it's something I've enjoyed all my life. You know, when I first had the chance to dig as a student, I just said, this is really what I want to do with the rest of my life. And it's just, it, you know, we're finding things out about the past that we just don't know. You know, um, historic records are wonderful, but they don't tell the whole story. And there's just a really tangible nature to be able to touch pottery, to touch stone tools, to touch ancient animal bones that would have been cooked by um, men and women um, a thousand years ago. You know, to me that just the, the real tactile nature of it is, is terrifically exciting.
you talk about animal bones. And I remember in the airport, we were talking about the distinction between animal bones, uh, you know, and human bones and uh, <laughs> yesterday's lunch bones. Uh, how do you determine the difference between those? You, you come upon, you're digging, you find a bone. How do you know what it is? Oh, that's a, just a fabulous question. Well, one of the things that um, when I first went to grad school at the University of Pennsylvania, in the first semester, they had all the archeologists along with the biological anthropologists take a lab in human skeletal biology. And what we learned to do was to identify human skeletal material. Now, if you're a biological anthropologist, you're interested in ancient disease and human evolution. But for us, of course, there's a great sensitivity. You know, if you find a human burial, that's somebody's ancestor and it needs to be taught, um, treated with respect. So everybody who came through the program in my day took human osteology. And I went on to take a second course that taught us about things like how we figure out how old the individual is, how we figure out whether it's a male or female, how we figure out how old it was when it died, all those kinds of questions. But in my second year, um, I had an opportunity to take a zooarchaeology course with um, uh, Dexter Perkins, who uh, was one of the readers of my PhD and very well known for having looked at the animal bones from the famous Shanadar cave site, uh, where many Neanderthals were also found. Um, and basically what we spent a lot of time doing was then say, okay, you guys have a background in human bones. Now we're gonna look at how do we identify goats, sheep, cattle, deer, gazelles, and so it was really a course in um, identifying different animals. And what we generally work with is a comparative collection. So in my lab, I have about 300 specimens, everything from domestic goats to, you know, local wild birds. I have a permit from the state of New Jersey that lets me pick up animals that are killed on the road. And I just report at the end of the year that I picked up a raccoon or I picked up a deer or whatever. Um, and so we work to... Um, identify those. And in fact, working with a biological anthropologist colleague of mine who works for the um, uh, city of New York, we published a book a few years back on just comparing human bones to, to cattle, to horses, to sheep, to goat, and then comparing juvenile humans, babies, to things like chickens and ducks and geese and so on. So it's, it's really a learning and experience and having access to those comparative materials. I loved living in New York City for the nine years I was there. And I would, this time of year, September, October, fascinating, gorgeous autumn, the, the leaves change. Uh, it's magical almost with the fall colors. Do you have a favorite place to visit and see those leaves? Or, or what about globally? Any favorite place? Well, I do. I mean, I'm a native New Yorker. Um, as a kid, I grew up in Queens in one of the outer boroughs. And when I was 14, my parents moved me to Long Island and I went to high school at the, I have to give a shout out to the Earl L. Vanderbilt High School and all my friends from there. Um, but um, I basically, I love to see the leaves on Long Island and I love to walk in Central Park and see the leaves change there too. And you're absolutely right that September and October is the most beautiful part of the year. I mean, I'm, you know, I'm a diehard native New Yorker. So I think New York is the best place in the world year round, but absolutely. And I love to go to the American Museum of Natural History. 
and that you know in terms of how do we identify things you know i can i have a collection of about 300 specimens but obviously there are thousands of different kinds of animals in the world so that if we find something that we don't have a good um comparative for for example i don't have a camel um we can go down to the AMNH, um, we put in a request, and I had something I was pretty sure was a camel, but I wanted to check it out. And I went down to the AMNH, and they let me in, and they opened the door and said, this is our room full of camels, and they had 40 camels in there. So, um, and, you know, I love AMNH any time of year, but I love it in the fall particularly. And I also, for anyone out there, if you're in New York City, they have wonderful children's programs. And when my three kids who are now in their 30s were preschoolers, early elementary grades, just fabulous programs on astronomy and natural history that I recommend in the highest possible terms. Let me ask, do you think AI is going to be something about which to worry in student life? Uh, what about in non-student life? That is, will AI change the way ordinary folks like those who listen to this podcast will carry on in their ordinary life? I think so. Um, I think, you know, our immediate fear for students is having them go to ChatGPT and saying, I need an essay on the Bronze Age in Spain and having ChatGPT um, spew something out. So right now, you know, we're thinking about alternatives like asking the students to do the research ahead of time, come into class with research cards, and instead of writing a paper on the computer, just write it down in an exam period, things like that. You know, so we're thinking about because obviously the immediate concern, and until um, last month, I was the director of undergraduate studies for our program. One of my colleagues has now taken over. But um, this we had a number of meetings last year about this. How do we, because obviously we want students to um, write their own work, to do their own research. Um, but I think in the long term, it may make a lot of things easier. I mean, if we can automate decision making and things like that, I think there's a potential to make our lives a little bit better. Um, this is my hope for this. You know, certainly if if we can see pattern recognitions and things, if we can get better help when something goes wrong. I mean, I as you know, I've been fighting with my internet provider and things that might make it easier to diagnose what's wrong with the system. Things like that might make our lives a bit easier. Uh, customer service, that kind of thing. But it's a really, it's a wide open world out there. And I think there are a lot of questions we still have to ask, like if we're training AI on, you know, particular pieces of literature or films, you know, are there, should the authors of those books or the makers of those films be getting residuals? You know, how do we share the wealth of AI as well? Always follow the money. Uh, yep. When you're not working, which is probably rare, uh, what, <laughs> you sound like you love your work. Uh, what do you find that brings you joy? Oh, three things. First of all, I have two granddaughters and three sons um, and two daughters-in-law. And they, as well as my third son, has a very serious girlfriend. And my family is fabulous. You know, I've been, I've been truly blessed in that regard. I like to garden. Um, I like to grow things. I'm not great, but, um, you know, we usually put, I do a lot of roses and flowers and we usually put in corn and tomatoes and squash and things like that um, is the other thing I, I really enjoy. And I do like to travel as well. Not just for, a lot of my travel is things like going to Turkey to look at animal bones, but, you know, I, I've been very fortunate to have been able to see a lot of the world as a result of being an archaeologist. 
if you had a chance to do things over, if you had a chance to do it in a different way, what's the first thing you would edit? Probably my first semester transcript as an undergrad. Um, it was not as great as I did quite well after that, but I think it was a bit of a shock. Um, and I might have taken some different courses. I think there's a tendency, and what I've advised students, to take the same things you took in high school, and that was probably a mistake. I mean, I took chemistry and calculus and did reasonably well, but was not really what I wanted to do with the rest of my life. Is there anything else you want to tell the International Bob's Your Uncle podcast community? Just, um, you know, you can find me on um, the internet. If you have any questions, feel free to contact me. Um, I'm available and I'd love to answer any questions you might, any individual questions you might have. You really want to offer yourself to people you don't know? Sure. I get questions all the time. Well, um, have a great autumn and uh, end of 2023. And we'll look forward to who knows what in 2024. Have a, have a okay. blessed time. Thanks so much, Pam. Thank you so much. What do you think about all this? Why don't you write me, bobmendo at aol.com, or comment on an Instagram or TikTok to me. I'd love to know what you're thinking. Every week, we read from the number one bestseller of all times, the Bible. Today's no different. From Proverbs chapter 17, a joyful heart is good medicine, but a broken spirit dries up the bones. Join me next week as I interview Miguel Fernandez from Portugal, a cartoonist and pottery expert. Until then, from me, Bob Mendelssohn, when things seem bleak or uncertain, look up to God. He's in his heaven, and Bob's your uncle. Shalom from Sydney. Sydney.